Good evening, everyone. Welcome to 2024. Uh, we're, you know, second week into the year and uh, optimistic about 2024. How are you feeling, Mike? I am well. Uh, good to be back after our, our break, our holiday break. Um, you know, good, uh, good, pretty good holiday time. It, it went by very fast. I had, I had a bunch of time off from work. Um, just kind of laid low, didn't really do anything too crazy, but, uh, yes, you know, bid farewell to 2023 and hello to what, uh, is hopefully a good new year, Mr. Hill. I'm optimistic, man. There's a lot of things going on that are, uh, hopefully going to turn out pretty well. I'm looking forward to getting into the year and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always nice to have some time off from work. It's also mm -hmm. nice to start getting back to the grind again too, which is always nice. Yes, definitely going to be a busy January at the old uh, salt mine for me, I will say <laughs> for sure. But um, yeah, you, you, you watching anything as of late? Well, I, uh, nothing new, but mm. really enjoyable older stuff that I got into recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, so you know, Tina has not seen Terrified or When Evil Lurks. So okay. we watched that recently, just this past weekend. Mm. And I'll tell you what, man, I like it. Even, both of those films, I like even more on repeated viewings. Nice. I need to watch Terrified. I watched the very beginning of it, and then, I don't know, something happened. I, I had to to stop it for whatever reason <laughs> i didn't go back to it but i do plan on going back to it because i myself have been been watching some older fare uh the other night i watched the uh, john carpenter's the thing again like it was the older movie too yeah it was yeah i mean and you you can't go wrong with the thing oh. obviously um good winter movie you know we're in winter time it's probably arguably the greatest uh, wintertime horror film, you know? And uh, out of curiosity, I, I was like, okay, so I know this was a bomb back in 1982. I mean, you know, I was I was nine and uh, I didn't see it in a the theater, obviously. Um, but by the time I saw it on VHS, it was, you know, it fucked my little head up uh, personally. But I was like, okay, so why did this, why did this bomb? And I did a little, you know, preliminary preliminary deep dive and it's like well they put it out in the summer it was out against raiders of the lost ark and et and it, like 1982 was basically the wrong time for the movie and they put it out in the wrong time of year and also one of the biggest reasons according to a few articles is that it was too much for 1982 like visually for like yeah. like a mainstream like the audience was like shocked by the special effects and like, you know, bewildered by it. They're like, honestly, like probably before that in a, in a mainstream horror movie, like what, what was even close to that? I mean, this is before, um, you know, day of the dead, you know, like day of the dead is really like intense and over the top, but that's like 85. This is 82. So I almost feel like I kind of got what some of these articles were saying, where it was like, like the world might not have been ready for this just yet. What do you think? I agree. You know, I mean, if you think about it, probably the only movie that comes to mind that's being as intense as that is maybe The Exorcist or something like that. You know what I mean? Right, right. And that's like a decade removed. And I think I think they were just kind of saying culturally there was nothing like this going on. Like they had, like Poltergeist was a hit, but Poltergeist is pretty far away from the thing. Okay. And also they were talking about how bleak and depressing the thing was and how like movies weren't that much of a downer, which is again, probably true. If you're going up against E.T. and Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, it's, it was just, it had things stacked against it. But of course the thing goes on to rule the day because it is regarded as one of the greatest uh you know horror films sci-fi horror films of all time so every dog has its day watch prince of darkness because i saw mm. that they just put a bunch of carpenter's films on shutter and arguably mm. prince of darkness i go back and forth between that film and the thing as being my two favorite carpenter movies so um 
you know, that's, uh, I'll probably, probably this week we'll probably watch uh, the thing, you know, but, but yeah, yeah, it, um, yeah, dude, that, that, you know, it's those two films top of the line for him. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then totally not horror related is, uh, (laughs) I've been, uh, binging, uh, curb your enthusiasm. Ah, great stuff. Yeah. I've only been like, I've only been like a peripheral fan of that. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, and the new season starts this year, it was in the mm-hmm. final season. So, yeah. uh, Tina's a huge fan and she was like, you need to watch this cause it's funny. And she's like, there are aspects of your personality that remind me of Larry David. And I'm like, yes, I interesting. see that as well. I could. <laughs> she's like, like you hate everybody. <laughs> and you're <laughs> like neurotic about so many things. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. He has uh, he has uh, scandado aspects as well of myself and my brother John definitely um, you know uh, I, I totally at least I could uh, am not afraid to say I see some of Larry and myself as well but honestly what makes the show a hit and what makes him as a character a hit is that there's he he lives in everyone Mike wouldn't you agree <laughs> oh, definitely yeah. And just the whole the whole vibe of that. Susie Green is my favorite character, though. Honestly. Oh yeah, so great, so great. Like yeah, every every everyone is kind of like putting forth like their A game, even like the you know the smaller characters or even a guest character. It's just like everyone's having fun, you know. The thing I I would like to know some feedback out there, like you know, you know that to me, even though this takes place in L.A., it's mm-hmm. like a very New York film, New York uh, series. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. I wonder if it hits with non-New Yorkers as well as it hits with people from the tri-state area. That's that's the question I have to the listeners out there. It kind of, I would, my fast answer would be yes, because of the show's success. But I see what you're saying. Like, I think, I think it's quite possibly its biggest admirers are the people in Cali and New York. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Or the Northeast or in the, you know, yeah. California. Um, but that is a good question. Like, what is, you know, what does the average Joe from Minnesota think of, of Curb? And look, obviously it, it's got a wide appeal. It's a very successful show. And, you know, it, it's, it's a branch of the Seinfeld family, which was one of the most successful TV comedies of all time. But I see what you're saying. Like, I feel like some people were probably maybe not as into its humor, right? Well, the humor itself, man, if you think about it, we, I mean, you and I know people like, like Larry and Susie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, totally. That's, totally. We're, we're like not even removed from that world of that type of person. You know, that, that whole cultural thing is like in our everyday life for the most part, you know? And yes. I, so <laughs> someone from like Illinois or something like that, you know, might, or Tennessee or something like that, they might, mm. they might, they might, they might think it's funny, but they don't have that personal connection to it. Which I guess that's what I'm, I'm trying to bring up. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. But yes, listeners, if you're fans of Curb and you're not from uh, our neck of the woods, give us your thoughts on Curb. That's a, uh, it's, uh, it's intriguing. We're intrigued by it. Um, But yeah, you know, uh, aside from that, I watched, the first episode of the original V miniseries, Mike. Okay. Uh, episode one from back in 82, I guess, 83. I forget what year V came out. And it's, look, it, 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 the memories of that as a kid are a certain, you know, place and time, you know, and like how hard that kind of hit as a kid. Like it was kind of like intense and cool. Watching it now, it's like, it's okay. It, I mean, it's it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's in, in enjoyable. But the big looming, uh, you know, presence of it to me that I didn't see so much as a kid is about like, you know, authoritarianism and like yeah. fascism. Like, it's really like, it's like really there, that message, like the, and the fear of, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's pretty heavy in episode one, you know, of the original. The original. And, and then tonight I watched, um, earlier today, I'm sorry, I watched episode one of the O's one with uh, the lovely Morena Baccarin. And that is definitely far less of like, you know, almost like a 1938, the coming of Nazis vibe. That's like a very different kind of vibe. It's definitely like a, like, a, a, again, authoritarianism thing, 
but it's it's definitely not as heavy handed as like that OG eighties message. They're, they're they're different animals. Those two series. Where did you um, where did you watch these? Do you have like a, a Blu Ray set or they're streaming somewhere? Okay, the O's one is free on Tubi, but I did plunk down a few bucks to watch episode one because I, I wanted to just I wanted to just kind of go back and watch that very first episode again of the eighties one. I had to pay for that one. Was it an Amazon? I can't remember, but um, you know, it was it was cool to check out. Actually, I it's the the eighties one is you know it aired on NBC back in the day, but it is not on Peacock, unfortunately. Yeah. Anything else you checking out? Um, that that is really about it. Um, for tonight's episode, I I had had the the pleasure of seeing it back in back in twenty twenty three, so I didn't need to do the uh the catch-up for tonight but uh tonight's was on my uh honorable mentions so uh and and of course before we we roll into that um we uh want to do the calls or the plugs first brothers Christian brothers printing off we've got brandon legions Horror Wolf 666. And though Necromaniacs is a horror podcast, we are not in competition with Horror Wolf 666. No. There's no competition. We all push, pull, and pull for each other to do well. Brandon's show is an interview show. So he interviews people, filmmakers. Sometimes we're on the show, you know, to talk. So it's mm -hmm. like we're all the whole spectrum of the horror film and fiction, all that. Movies, interviews. And then we handle talking about films. Great. Right. And who, who do we got on Tuesday? Who? I'm starting uh -huh. to get a little itch because I haven't gotten my fix on Tuesdays. But go ahead. <laughs> yes. Man, I got to tell you, I am jealous of this man's holiday uh, break here. It could be one of the longest holiday breaks I have seen a mortal man take in the history of holiday you know, breaks. You know how they do it in Europe, bro. They, they, yeah, it's different. Yes. Damn, I'm so jealous of these these Euros. Um but uh, although he is not a native Euro, of course, I'm talking about Jackie Smith's uh, Into the Necrosphere podcast, which I am uh, jumping at the bit, chomping at the bit for it to return, not jumping at the bit. That would be something I just made up, um, which comes to you on Tuesdays and is uh, the premier uh, metal podcast for all things heavy, really heavy, not like, you know, seven dust heavy or, you know, sleep token heavy. We're talking really heavy um so yeah that's uh, coming at you every tuesday and i imagine i imagine it returns perhaps uh very soon uh in january really missing that tuesday slot honestly you know mm. yeah he's you see him on instagram and he's like on safaris you know he's like surfing and you know it's uh, <laughs> uh I'm, yeah. I'm in you know, i'm jealous actually you know it's here in the northeast it's like snowing today and i gotta work you know that kind of stuff I know we're very jealous, but it, it's a good jealousy, you know. It's uh, it, it it's it's you know, it we're jealous with a smile, Jackie. <laughs> so Wednesdays we got everything went black, which is um, my uh, sorry, that's what started this whole thing for me. Mm -hmm. And um, recently I just had uh, Cheyenne on as a guest to talk about the new Tribex record. Nice, hello, burns out. As well as uh, you know, his a multitude of other things that dude has going on, and that was uh, always a pleasure to catch up with Cheyenne. There's a second appearance on Everything Went Black, by the way. Yeah, I want to check out the episode that he just put out, maybe yesterday or was it today? Um, you know, yeah, man. Uh, welcome addition to the Horseman. Oh yeah, interesting guy. And uh, uh, just real quick on the aside, I just recently was on another my my second favorite metal podcast. I had an appearance on the Heavy Hole podcast, so uh, definitely check that out. Uh, Big Will, good guy. I've been a huge fan of all of his bands that he's done. Of course, uh, Reeking Aura mm -hmm. and uh, Artificial Brain. You know, those are great great bands, and he's doing a killer job as well. And um, just recently, I was on there, and uh, you guys, please go check it out. Excellent. Uh, coming to you on Thursdays while you're listening to it right now. It is the Necromaniacs podcast, the horror podcast, folks. Uh, hitting that 10-year anniversary next month. Mm -hmm. How about that, right. Mr. Yep. Yeah. 
10 years of Necromaniacs. And we have listeners who have been aboard for the 10 years. And we're very grateful for you. And of course, all the listeners, uh, newcomers alike. Uh, and on Friday, we have none other than my flesh and blood, Mr. John Draper with Spitball Media. Uh, they even changed their little their little graphic on on the, uh, the, the the pods, Mike. It's this cool little new uh, Spitball Media graphic. I don't know if you caught it. I noticed that. I know uh, that's definitely cool. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, take a break. But Mike, who do we got Sunday? Paul Hakara brings us Soul Knox, which is uh, focused on the darkness emanating from the center of the universe. It's all things dark, esoteric, macabre, weird. And Carl and I are continuing our collaboration, Darkness Weaves, which explores the work of Carl Edward Wagner. We shift off each month on who hosts the show. And uh, this coming month, it's going to be on Soul Knox. Excellent. And there you have it. But wait, there's more, right, Mr. Hill? That's right. Don't touch that dial. We no. have Iblis Manifestations coming at you as well. Pretty much, you got to keep your eyes and ears open. Ep episodes come at exactly the right time. And that's brought to you by Cheyenne, our, our brother. That is right. Um, there you have it. The Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse. Please hit those subscribe buttons on not just our podcast, of course, on all of these fine podcasts. Right, Mr. Hill? Right. And of course, uh, now this brings us to the phone calls. We have the Necrophone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is 908-913-0782. 908-913-0782. Give us a shout. Tell us what you're, uh, you know, how you're feeling. If you've got any recommendations, all that kind of stuff. So we got two calls this week. And uh, starting off, we got Steve. Hey, Mike, Mike, and Jeff. This is Steve. I know Mike Hill. My number is Zero Miles House Online. You know, we've had the opportunity to talk in the past. I appreciate that. Um, Long-time listener. Been there from the beginning. I uh, went through the Metal Matters and um, Gimme Radio. And definitely been following the, the Horsemen. And, uh, you know, Gives me something to kind of look forward to while I work graveyard shift. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, as far as movies go lately, I was wondering if um, you've done anything on Takashi Miki, a Japanese director. Um, my favorite movie by him is probably Imprint. He was on one of those masses of horror collections. He's done. Hey, Steve, thanks for the killer. support. And, and uh, if you yeah, have, and I missed the, um, I apologize. Um, you know, heavy, the metal matters movie, uh, thing uh, was fun while it lasted, man. A lot, of, a lot of good times uh, doing that. One and, uh, unfortunately, the like whole uh, gimme metal platform um, I, is uh, is over with now, and that he was did. a lot of fun too. That was and, something uh, that I, I used to DJ at two, you know, twice a month. I had a show on there as well as podcast, and a lot of a lot of good times with those guys. Which yeah, is, definitely. Um, and uh, I brought it up before. I Mike and I did it, an excellent uh, deep dive on the Typo Negative debut, Slow Marcia Deep and Hard, Richshaw. that I feel like you can still and find out there somewhere. I, it might even be on like, YouTube or something. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun to do. Um, yeah, now, he gross, brought up something. Well, he brought up a lot of cool stuff, but one thing I wanted to touch on was he brought up the new DSI track. Did he mention that? But there's a movie called Good Boy. From Norway. Have you heard and of the Mr. director? Well, I haven't. Uh, I didn't even know it came out. When, when was there a new DSI track? And oh, it, they dropped it, of course, on Christmas Day. Uh, it's called Bury like uh, Your Cross, Bury the Cross for, with Your Christ. And, uh, it's from the forthcoming know, album, weird, uh, Banished by Sin. Anyway, it's coming out sometime in 2024. But yeah, brand new song. There's a video for it too. You missed it, Mike. And, uh, you gotta check it out. You know, you guys oh man, yeah, I know. When I when I saw uh, this, I'm like, man, I must have got caught slipping on this one. Look forward to. Um. Well, okay. Uh, one more. Thing I am a big fan Best of the aside. Um. You know, I, I was at the first show they did in New York in '92 with like Demolition Hammer. and Cancer. Either way, I I you know I found them around 1990 when the first album came out. They're they're one of my, my my marquee death metal bands. However, 
Um, I really, really mainly just back the first four records, like a lot of people do. Some people only back the first two. Some people only back the first three. I ride hard for the first four uh, up until, of course, Serpents mm -hmm. of the Light. Uh, newer Deicide has been hit or miss. The, the like the post Hoffman Brothers Deicide is hit or miss. Now, musically, this is a good track, Mike. It's it's solid Deicide death metal. But lyrically, and they made a video for this as well. I just feel like, I mean, at this point. They might as well just put out a song, an album called Satan, 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 because everything is just it's getting a bit redundant. And look, some people might be screaming at me right now because they want this is what they want the aside to be. They want redundancy. They want Satan, 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 Satan. Like, you know, what I'm saying, um, look, I'm not saying they should be singing about the environment. I'm just saying that there are they could be coming up with a bit more. I don't know if I want to use the word intelligent, but more more ways to skin the cat lyrically. You know what I'm saying, Mike? Like, you know, like yeah, I get, it. I get what yeah. you're saying. You know, it's like uh, I mean, you know, I I back those first four albums. You know, Deicide, uh, Serpents of Once Upon a Cross, Serpents of the Light, uh, Legion. Mm -hmm. like, those are those are like I I kind of trailed off after Serpents of the Light. Like I was aware of the other records that came out. Yeah, and I would you know of course I go see them live and stuff like that, but like as far as my listening habits, it was really confined to those first few records, honestly. Now they're kind of on, like they're kind of doing very well again, actually. Like the last two shows they did in New York were sellouts. And there's kind of like an excitement about them again, which I think is fucking great as someone who's been a fan for over 30 years, you know? Um, and I'm very curious to hear the rest of the record. But the single is good. But you, you got to just watch the video, check out the song, Mike, and then let me know what you think and see if you're you're may or may not be in agreement with what I'm kind of getting at. I mean, I just feel like they're kind of like the ACDC of satanic death metal. You know what I'm saying? They're, but again, that's kind of what you want. But I guess every once in a while you want a little more. Um, I'll maybe compare it to the last Cannibal Corpse record, which I liked a lot, but I ultimately was actually not over the moon with action. You know, like I felt like, I don't know, like I just, I felt like it's a, it was a bit of going through the motions. Um, and like Glenn Benton on those first few records, like, I, you know, he has this voice that's like, he almost had like three voices, you know, like three different kind of like ways to, that he sang. And now yeah. for the last couple of records, he's kind of uh, it's just this one very heavy voice, deep voice. So I kind of miss like the screams. I miss like the slight spoken parts. I can, you know, maybe this record will have a little bit more of his vocal dynamics or maybe it will not like the last several records have not had. So, yeah, I, I'm a diehard longtime fan, but I, I think I'm just going to reserve judgment until I hear more. I like the new song. I don't love the new song. I'm going to check it out. And, you know, I always, you know, maybe, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully I'll, I'll dig it and, uh, you know, check out the rest of the record sounds like, I guess. Yeah, definitely. But uh, yes, I mean, you know, I love when the listeners throw in the musical musical question, don't you? <laughs> oh yeah, totally. And, and, I, and I like sometimes when I get, I get I, I get you know caught slipping like this. You know what I mean? I did ah, not even know yeah. the track existed until uh, Steve let us let me know about it at least. You know, right? But hey, they put it out Christmas Day in 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 very you know true deicide fashion, uh, which was pretty cool of them. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as Takashi Miike, man, definitely a huge fan. Uh, Imprint is probably my favorite uh, film by him as well. And um, mm. ironically, yeah. I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, Mike. I was gonna say we. I don't know if we've done a a a, a film though from him, or, or maybe well, back in the early days. I just I feel like no, but not entirely sure. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Um, I can say with ninety percent certainty that we have not done a Takashi Miike uh, movie. Okay. And, uh, ironically, we were gonna do we're gonna do Trauma. Actually, that's something. If we're talking about the Argento film Trauma. 
We're going to be yeah. covering that. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's coming. And uh, La Petite Mort is um, the German movie. I uh, never heard of it. Sounds interesting. Of course, uh, La Petite Mort is um, a French uh, phrase for orgasm. In case you guys, ah. uh, a little death. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a little death. Yeah. The little death. That's right. I, I figured that it stood for the little death, but I didn't know that it had that little uh, extra meaning. Oh. <laughs> So, yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, next up, we got Benji from Georgia. Hey, guys. This is Benji from Georgia. Um, with Eli Roth coming up in conversation at the end of the year, it made me think of a recommendation for you guys to check out the Quentin Tarantino podcast. He had Eli Roth on there for uh, two episodes last year, 2022, uh, regarding American Jello. So I figured you guys would um, – Find that interesting since you like to hear Eli Roth talk about film and you also like Jello. Um, then I also had a question regarding uh, your opinions on what I see as a trend going on with filmmaking, um, like horror movie, indie horror movie guys going off making big studio films that just, I don't know, kind of really aren't that great. Like Ben Wheatley, who I really like uh, as a filmmaker, made The Meg 2. Um, and I think he's making the Meg 3. And then Adam Wingard, who did, you know, Your Next and The Guest, which were um, two really good films that I think, anyhow. Um, he made the last Kong versus Godzilla movie and is making the, I guess it's a buddy cop, Kong and Godzilla versus another big ape movie coming out this year. Uh, just thought your opinions on that is that, you know, I don't know. Is it like Adam, uh, no, Adam Lingard, good Lord. Um, James Wan going off and making, uh, Aquaman. So everybody's trying to pick up indie budget or horror guys to, that are just confident making movies, but it just seems really, I don't know. I have my, I have my opinions and thoughts, but just kind of interested in what your thoughts are. And also a necrophone. Is that with a pH or an F? Thanks. Bye. Thanks a lot, Benji. I did not even know that Quentin Tarantino had a podcast. Are you aware of that, Mike? You know what? I am kicking myself because I feel like I I might have known, but it kind of just went out of my head. And I can't believe that that's not something I've been listening to with, you know, with fervor, as they say. Uh, so need to put that immediately into, the, you know, the Spotify rotation on my phone or even if he's not even doing it anymore, listen to all the old episodes, like immediately. Literally added it as soon as I got, as soon as I listened to this voicemail, I added it. And uh, ah, there's, okay. yeah, that's a guy who can talk. He's a real gacchiato on that guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to uh, to listening to all, just blazing through all these episodes, definitely. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, a ridiculous fan of Tarantino, but I have missed this podcast, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, as far as uh, his book is concerned, I have been waiting for it to come out in softcover, his book on, on film. Um, and I think it is finally coming out in softcover, like in the next month or so. So I'm buying that right away. I, I didn't want to have, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from hardcovers when I can. It's this little weird thing I'm doing. So, you know, uh, because I have like, you know, what's a, what's a bunch of hardcovers going to be like when I got to move again in mind. So I guess that's kind of smart no? Yeah, totally dude. I'm with you on that though. I do have a lot of hardcovers and most of them are currently in storage and mm. I only plan on moving one more time in my life. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, yeah. geez, it, you know, um, life of living in in the cities, as they say. Also, um, yeah, just to address that uh, interesting question about underground horror filmmakers getting into the uh, the mainstream, mm. uh, you know, you you know, uh, Benji mentioned Ben Wheatley, who just did the Meg, Meg yeah. Two rather, and he's also doing the Meg Three. So, mm -hmm. I'm a huge Ben Wheatley fan, and my two cents on this whole thing is like these guys, like Wheatley, Adam Wingard you know, James Wan, like doing these big studio films is almost like having a day job. 
You know, it's like you, you know? got your job that you go to every day. And then, you know, the things you're passionate about, you kind of do on your own dime. You know, like you, Mike, you and I have been playing in bands our whole lives. That's kind of how it is. You know, we got mm -hmm. our, our jobs and then we do the bands, you know, and we do all our creative stuff and you kind of make it work that way. And I feel like that's how guys like, you know, Wheatley, Wingard and all these guys, they get paid the real money doing these big studio films. I would rather not. I mean, I haven't seen Meg too. Um, you know, I may or may not check that out, but I'm definitely going to see Wheatley's next film that he makes on his own because I love everything that guy's done. So I don't know if that yeah. answers the question, or not, but you know, look, I think as they say, some of these bigger movies are done by the smaller guys because uh, either a, they got to eat as the phrase goes. Okay. Yeah. Unless look, I don't think any of these people are destitute or anything like that, but the shot at that kind of money is sometimes too much to say no to. That's number one. But number two, I think perhaps some of the bigger studios are looking at them because they bring some credibility or they bring something fresh. But I, from what I understand in the Meg two, that that is not the case. Um, I, I heard that it is, I didn't see it. I saw the Meg one that I kind of, I, I enjoy. I actually plan on seeing the Meg two. But from what I understand, it does not have any of his take on it. Like you, you're just watching a movie that you think that the prior director directed or that any schmo directed, which is unfortunate. But um, but if they're taking him on for the third one, then that means, well, he either has some 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 good buddies or he did a very good job somehow. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't think they would keep the same director if he didn't do a good job. Um, I also feel like sometimes these we'll call them the, the the indie guys they go back to being indie at some point you know what i'm saying uh a lot of the time because sometimes that swing is a miss at the bigger film and then they kind of go back to doing what they used to do but then sometimes they, they'll you know they'll find success on a bigger film um honestly i i have no shade for any uh director of a, of a cooler or indie horror movie taking a shot at, at the big guys um we live in a different world now you know and again i think it, it's it's either the the studio seeking them out or that director wanting to just see if, what what they could do with a, a bigger property or you know more money yeah i'm in the same way you are you see it the same way it's like i just want these guys to to have make a living and do well and um mm -hmm. I know, I mean, all these guys are going to go back to doing their own films. It's not like Wheatley is going to be stuck in the Hollywood world forever. I'm sure he's mm -hmm. got scripts that he's going to produce. You know, he just, you know, the the, the more, uh, Benson and Moorhead, too. I mean, they are indie guys, but they're flirting with the the big the big boys, you know, in Hollywood with the Disney properties, the Marvel properties they're working with. Um, you know, good for them, man. I, you know, I, I, I want to see them succeed it might even be a scenario like you know like willem dafoe the actor like he'll do like the green goblin and then he'll do like antichrist you know what i mean yeah he's he's a good example of like uh, someone who can live in a mainstream world and in a wacko movie world like you know not every actor can do that he can do that you know he's, he's one of the rare examples he's a good example you know you'll, you'll see him in a von Trier film and then you see him in a marvel movie and it's one and one and you know, you go back and forth. And I think that's an awesome way if you can do it. If you can make make that work, that's an awesome way to exist in this world, you know. Mm. Totally, totally. But uh yeah, thank you for the call. Good points, good takes. Yeah. And uh necrophone is with a pH. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, necro yeah. pH O N E. That's right. As yeah. the standard phone spelling, yes, exactly. Nothing, uh, you know, nothing special about it. So, <laughs> all right, man. So uh, on to the feature. Uh, we did last year's Cobweb, which came out in July of 2023 and appeared mm -hmm. on your honorable mentions list for the best films of uh, 2023. Yes, I I enjoyed this movie. It it didn't crack the top six, but I I watched it uh, after Halloween. Got, got heavy Halloween vibes, listeners, and I'm sure if you've seen it, you you know what I'm talking about. Um, but I enjoyed it, and and I definitely wanted to give it an honorable mention. Um, 
because I again it's it's a movie that I think uh fell by the wayside but actually has some some good you know actors in it and got some Stephen King vibes got some you know like uh, like kind of throwback horror vibes to it and uh yeah I think some of the listeners would like it quite a bit um, what to say about this movie actually you know mm. and uh it seems like this ended up on people's lists. Like, I remember, you know, so you listen to the other podcasts, the other horror shows I like. People had mentioned this movie either in their top tens or as honorable mentions. Mm-hmm. So uh, I missed, I didn't see it until this year. And I just kind of, there's a couple of films I slept on last year. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. So, uh, let, you know, just uh, let's run down. So anyway, it was directed by Samuel Bowden. And written by Chris Thomas, Devlin. Now, he's the screenwriter was involved in 2022's travesty, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, And I believe this is Samuel Bowden's first uh, feature film. Uh, His name is on some TV stuff and like a, a Batman short from, you know, back in 2009. Uh, it's looking like this is his first uh, full-length film. Yeah, so. You're saying this is the movie to be watched in Halloween. Like all the imagery, it takes place like shortly before Halloween. So yeah, there's definitely that aspect to it. It's a a Halloween movie, for sure. Definitely. It's a lot of pumpkins. It's just, you know, a lot of like fall kind of foliage. Um, It's got like a gray look to it, Mike. Would you agree? It's got like a, you know, darker colors and, you know, it's it's something that you you should throw on October, November for sure. So let's run down the cast. Interesting cast. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Lizzie Kaplan as Carol. Mm -hmm. We have uh, the great Anthony Starr as Mark. We know him from as Homelander and the boys and also from the... uh, Cinemax series Banshee, which I know you yeah. and I are both fans. Oh yes, Anthony Starr is is from two of my favorite TV things ever, uh, as you said, The Boys and Banshee. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I always like seeing him in, in stuff. Mm-hmm. We have the lovely uh, Cleopatra Coleman as Miss Divine, and we know her from Infinity Pool. Yes, she's stunning woman, stunning. Yeah, and then um, we have uh, Alexandra Dragova as the girl. And mm-hmm. Deborah Wilson as the voice of the monster Sarah. So the, yes. the girl is Sarah. Yeah, and, it's uh, one of those things where they, they gave they the 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 Alexandra plays the the girl, but they gave the voice to another actress reminiscent of uh, the exorcist, right? Yeah. And uh, a couple other people in this film, you know, mm. kids, other kid actors. Right. Yeah. So um yeah, this is like you were saying that it, it did have like an interesting mix of things going on in this movie. Uh, some Stephen King action for sure. Yeah, but it also had that vibe of like those seventies TV horror movies. Yes, I would agree. You know what I'm with trying that. to say, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's like, downbeat. It's pretty downbeat movie. Um, there's no comic relief here. There's no. You know, th- there's no montages in this movie. No. It's it's pretty, pretty hardcore. No, yeah, and not like this has anything. Well, it's maybe a little bit. People under the stairs or something like that. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like there's a lot of likable things here, and most of the movie I think is likable. Um, you know, you you get like you get to see kind of like a serious dark dad role at an Anthony star, which again, you don't, you know, you, you see him as like this superhero who's not really a superhero. And then a Banshee was a very different animal as well, but it's, you know, he's, he's playing like a different kind of guy here. And then Lizzie Kaplan, uh, again, you, you're seeing her play like this mom who's really kind of fucked up, you know? Uh, of course, people know her from like, you know, freaks and geeks and she's a mean girls and Cloverfield. I mean, she's, she's been in tons of cool shit. So I've always liked her. Yeah, Peter is uh, the shy, kind of disturbed kid. He's like sheltered by his parents, doesn't have any friends. He's like getting picked on by the kids. And um, and uh, Miss Divine is uh, the, a teacher. Sub- actually, she's a substitute teacher, right? She's not even like a... Yeah. Uh, she subs in and 
observes Peter as being this kind of outcast loner guy getting picked on by, you know, the kids and all that. And, and actually one of the picking on scenes is reminiscent of, uh, of the first Halloween movie with, yes. uh, they make, they make pumpkins, you know, it's around Halloween and the bullies smash his pumpkin, just like, uh, in Halloween one. And I was like, Oh, oh nice. Yeah. That is a nod. total nod to ha- total nod to Halloween one, just like kind of the opening of Thanksgiving was an open it was a nod to Halloween one, right? Yeah. Right sure. away you get this feeling like you you go into the the family situation assuming that the parents are there or for for the kid, that they're supportive, like they're supposed yeah. to be the good that's like your immediate impression. Right. And it slowly creeps up on you that something is wrong and that the situation is not a normal situation. And it's what I found really interesting about this is like the shots inside the house. Like the house is like a pretty, it's in, you know, in order, clean, neat, mm-hmm. well put together. But when they cut to the exterior of the house and they pan outward, you see that the house is in disrepair on the outside. Yes. Yeah. And, and that, I thought there's that was like cool. mm-hmm. this incredible pumpkin patch of pumpkins in the backyard, which is like, yeah. yeah, it's like, it would be one of those houses that in a neighborhood similar to, you know, maybe like, cause I, I grew up out, you know, outside the city, grew up in the city. So there's houses like this, that might be the house of like the, the, the weirdo family, you know, or the, that the, the kids and local kids would start making up stories about who lives there and that sort of thing. Yes, I would agree. And that that gave me a little bit of those 70s vibes that you're talking about, too. You know? Yes. Um, maybe, and again, they're talking about Stephen King, like, you know, reminded me of It a little bit, you know? Uh, and just, just the, the overall vibe of it with, like, the young kid and it, all of a sudden you realize that the parents are, are really not who they appear to be. And then later on, there's like the second layer of the parents where, you know, maybe they weren't so terrible after all. Right, Mike? <laughs> and it kind of goes back and forth. Or it jumps, it hops the fence quite a bit. And mm. um, the story, it, it just has this very moody, brooding sort of bleakness to it, you know, mm-hmm. because yeah. you really, really see Peter as being trapped there with the, with his, with his parents. And, yeah. um, you know, it's what he's what initially you're perceiving as maybe nightmares, right? And you start he starts hearing knocking on the walls, and mm-hmm. he's being kind of gaslit by his parents too. They're like, "Oh no, you know, there's nothing. You know what I mean? This is you're not hearing anything." Right. Meanwhile, yeah. he's clearly hearing something. It's clearly legitimate, and his parents are telling him everything is okay. And then you know, uh, they're drawing pictures in the classroom, and he draws a picture of himself scared in the bed with the words, "Help me." Uh, that's that, which is what, of course, triggers the the substitute teacher, Mr. Vine, into maybe I should talk to the parents. You know, maybe uh, maybe that's not a good thing. Yeah, so she takes an interest in him, even though you know he's a uh, you know she's a substitute. You know, mm-hmm. um, so the tapping continues, and uh, you know, the next few days he hears a voice of a young girl, mm-hmm. and she's kind of a giving him the heads up that his parents um are you know are are not what they seem you know that they're yeah. evil this whole thing mm-hmm. and this is another another kind of like deception in the film too because you're like this is like the the young girl version of the the, the thing that lives in behind the walls mm-hmm. you're like well clearly you know she's like a victim you know this is you start building up this picture in your mind about maybe the parents are you know, they abused her or whatever, like something horrible and banished her to this like pit or whatever. You know, that's this feeling that you're having about this whole thing. And uh, you're, you're, it's like, you're just uncertain about what's actually going on, like for part of this film. The thing is, yeah, you think you have the movie figured out. You think there's a girl trapped in the wall that the parents might've killed this girl and that she's warning the, the little boy about the parents and, you kind of think that's the movie, right, Mike? Like at one point. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, the and parents even, are acting shitty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and the girl, even Sarah, her name, we'll call her Sarah. You know, she even claims that the parents locked her away because uh, they didn't want her anymore. You know, and that they're these horrible people and, you know, yes. bad sort of thing, you know. 
that's um that's when she reveals that surprise surprise listeners she is in fact peter's older sister sarah that the parents did lock away because she was deformed and they didn't want her anymore and uh they they imprisoned her on halloween because that was when a girl had gone missing um and apparently uh, you know according to sarah this girl uh tried to help sarah and then she wound up mysteriously murdered so it's like Again, you're thinking as a viewer, you've got this all figured out that the parents are evil. The parents killed the, that missing girl. The parents imprisoned the daughter. And now they're fucking with their son. And according to Sarah, they want to kill their own son. Right. She like manipulates him into thinking that they're going to murder him. Mm -hmm. But he has to, to then that and that he has to strike first. So, you know, yeah. it turns out that he puts rat poison in their food in a very, very harrowing scene where they're sitting at the dinner table and there's this yeah. soup mm. and they're eating the soup and the father is like oh son oh dinner's delicious but you know something tastes uh, different in your soup <laughs> and it's like is that cinnamon and of course peter didn't touch his food mm. and that's when you realize that something is is amiss and uh and they both react horribly to the rat poison in their food and you know and the father like painfully dies. Yes. I mean, the, the kid, like you're seeing this kid as a victim and this poor young kid, he has just murdered his parents, folks. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of a, like I said, it's a dark movie. Like he's <laughs> killed his parents. And sure enough, right before the mom dies, like the mom has the poison, but she eventually decides to stab herself. She says to her son right before she dies, as he kicks her down the damn stairs or whatever, uh, don't let her out. So now yeah. as the viewer, you're like, uh-oh, did this kid just perhaps kill the wrong people? Like, I'm not the, you know what I'm saying? Like, kill his parents in vain? And of course, the answer is, why, yes, he did kill his parents in vain. <laughs> Fall back to a movie that I know you and I both love is when, when, uh, Anthony Starr's character, the father, is eating the soup, and he's like, "Oh, I taste a cinnamon or whatever." The little girl who lives down the lane when yes. she, when Buster poisons Martin Sheen with the, uh, and he's like, "So oh, there's a subtle taste of almonds in the tea." Yes, holy shit! Now one can argue. I mean, I, you know, I don't know too much about uh, you know Samuel Bowden or or the, the the writer. Well, you know, except that he wrote a pretty shitty movie. But maybe these guys saw a little girl that lives down the lane and that and that was a possible nod to it. If it is not a nod to it, it is a very cool, unintentional nod to a little girl who lives down the lane. And I, I'm this is in, in a weird way, minus the weird sex stuff, this is almost like a, a semi-role reversal little girl who lives down the lane movie. A little bit, you know, and that's what I mean. That's why I, I feel like I had it. And there's there's a lot to, to kind of unpack with this film. Mm -hmm. And it's like interesting little movie, you know, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, let's get on with what's going on here because this is when the true nature of this uh, this of Sarah is revealed to everyone, and this is when a whole other thing opens up from my point of view. What's going on here? Yeah, and the movie is only eighty eight minutes, but what's funny is that I actually thought that the movie was kind of almost done when it was not done at all. At one point, ever have one of those little moments when you're watching a movie, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, things get really rolling because sure enough, like he, he opens the, you know, this grandfather clock in the parents' room and Sarah crawls out and oh yeah, she is a grotesque, uh, disfigured being. And, uh, you know, it, it, it turns out that yes, she was manipulating her brother to take revenge on the parents for locking her away. Uh, because sure enough, she was the one who killed, uh, the missing girl, of course. And she was a, a a goddamn menace. So they, they had to lock this girl away. Right, Mike? They were not showing. I thought it was awesome. Like, mm. there was like moments where you saw the shadow and these, like, eyes, right? And I was like, yeah, that's great. It's just like you see this darkness and they just two eyes come out. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then when she's, that like, skittering around like a spider, you know, you that was the most effective. That's when I think the creature was looked great. When you didn't get a really, you got quick glimpses of the creature. Mm -hmm. When the full creature is re is revealed, boy, did they fuck up! I think like 
Yeah. The creature looked really, really bad, dude. That's how I, I have to say that. It kind of took a little bit away from it from the film. Mm. Um, we left something out. Uh, one of the kids who was bullying Peter, um, Peter actually manages to muster up the courage, you know, via his, you know, influence from his his sister to to push the kid down the stairs. And they actually show his mangled leg. Like when he's at the bottom of the stairs, which is actually a pretty cool scene in the movie. Um, but uh, later in this very same evening, this kid shows up, you know, with his leg messed up with with all his uh, his buddies, right? To, uh, to to fuck up Peter, and like it, it's it's basically like they're there to kill him, Mike. Isn't that wasn't that kind of again pretty dark? Extreme, man. They were they, they, they didn't want to just smack him all, but they were there to kill this kid. You know, it seems to me they had like you know they were they were ready to roll. And uh, yeah, they have weapons, and course, Sarah, and you know, mm -hmm. yeah, and Sarah like brutally dispatches all these kids, you know, and yeah. they definitely go there with the gore, which is cool. They do, and it's you know, younger kid kind of violence, which uh, I feel like years ago they didn't really dabble too much into, and now it's like anything goes. Because oddly enough, folks, now when you know 13 year olds fight, they do want to kill each other now, so I guess it was a reflection of today's society, Mike. Yeah, unfortunately, you're right about that. Now, yeah. this is where another another influence hits me. Another thing jumped out at me during this, where there was like the fact that all right, she was the daughter and she was this monster made mm -hmm. me think of uh, the Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft with okay. um, Wilbur uh, Waitley, which is like uh, the son of Yog Sothoth, which is like <laughs> it was this. It was like this red, the whole Dunwich Horror thing is like the Waitleys are like this redneck family, and like the mother gets impregnated by Yog Sothoth and gives birth to this like monster. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, matures to full maturity in like 10 years, and you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, mm -hmm. man, this would have, I was like expecting the movie to go like, because I, they have Peter who's normal, and then you have Sarah who's a monster. Mm -hmm. What, what what happened like was was it like yeah doc sothoth impregnate the mother you know that that's like i was hoping that there was going to be some kind of thing like some explanation for her monstrosity but they didn't really reconcile any of that no explanation uh you're right uh that would have been nice uh left out um but yeah again that that's again where, where it kind of maybe fails a little um Although, of course, the, the very end leaves it open for a, a potential sequel, which I doubt there's going to be one, but you never know in these days, right? If they could turn something around the cheap. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that would have been nice because the brother is seemingly normal. And as it turns out, the parents were being wackos to protect their son from the their monster daughter. Um, but the thing is, it... At one point, it almost seemed like Anthony Starr was willing to kill Miss Divine, Cleopatra Coleman, in the house. Um, like, like would he have done that to protect the secret of the daughter? Is that kind of what that was? There was like this monster, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't know. Like, hmm. it, there were so many things that were going through my head during this movie because you know, um, lately, uh, you know, my girlfriend's really into true crime. Right. So mm -hmm. we've been watching a lot of these like uh, true crime things with like families and abductions and, you know, uh, kids being like uh, locked away, you know, and that kind of thing. And like mm -hmm. there's like a weird psychology that goes on within with families like that. So I was wondering if this was some kind of like. I don't know. I would have liked them to explore that angle a little bit more in this film, because I agree, like it looked like the father was to protect the secret of what's going on, was willing to kill miss divine and i'm like well yeah. why wouldn't you want to have to get some authorities to figure out what's going on you know or and that's what i mean like there there should have been some dark secret that they were they were um protecting to go along with the, the the monster daughter you know which i guess is the dark secret but as the viewer at that point in the movie you're thinking he's 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 just like a, he's the bad guy like that's why he's doing yeah. that you know what i'm exactly. saying like yeah. he's, right right so yeah it's a little i mean yeah, a little confusing, but by the end, you know, it, it's kind of revealed. So as Mike said, uh, 
the 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 sister monster uh pretty much does in with with all of his uh you know the bully and all his acolytes in the house and they're all killed uh mr vine makes her way to the to the house right and attempts to help peter escape uh but she's also attacked by sarah uh peter manages to to, to finally uh you know take his sister down uh by grabbing her hair and, and it manages to imp imprison her into the pit again and she warns him that she will eventually escape and she'll always haunt him and and and, and the movie just the movie ends like it's it's kind of a bleak ending though uh the kid killed his parents um is, wait is mr vine dead i'm i, I or, or mr. not vine, she she mm. makes it out alive mr vine, she does. Mr. vine. okay so she's alive yeah. right uh all of his friend bully whatever they're all dead his parents are dead and he's just left alone as like a you know a 12 year old or a 13 year old and um you know i i i like this movie this is why the movie made it an honorable mention like it, it left you know it left an impression on me mike <laughs> yeah it's a, it was a good little movie you know but i didn't love it though but i liked it you know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. there was a couple of things i didn't like the monster at all i think they should have kept the monster in the shadows you know shown less you know um not how to you know what i mean unless you i just thought the face was no good you know yeah she I was, was mm -hmm. yeah she was like spider-like but not a spider right like yeah. she was spider-like like hence the name cobweb although the name yeah. is a cool it's a cool name for the movie it's it's you know what do you think yeah, it's a great name for a movie. I would like to have gone and, you know, I don't know, maybe this is like to find out what, why she's a monster. You know what I mean? Like, that's like really, it's like because, you know, it's like uh, just the luck of gen the random genetics that she turned into this monster. Like, I, um, I would like to have heard the, to, to have known what actually happened. You know what I mean? Like, I would like to know maybe like some creature came down from the out of space and like impregnated them you know that kind of thing you know like some kind of like even even a movie like extra you know ex explains why the why there's a monster you know and this mm. movie in this day and age i would like to know the reason why she's a a, a spider monster you know not just mm -hmm. like oh yeah that's our daughter she's a monster she lives we put her in a pit you know that's <laughs> Uh, fun it, fact, yeah, the, yeah, I, I hear you, man. I just, you know, would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. So what was a fun uh, fact that you had? The, you had a fun the, fact? I do have a fun fact. This movie was shot in Bulgaria, uh, of all places, uh, in November of 2020. Uh, kind of looked like, you know, any town USA, though, right? I mean, the, the set, at least. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Now that would put this pretty, pretty heavy into the pandemic. I think at that point, the the restrictions over there in Bulgaria were probably a bit lax. I guess, huh? I would imagine so. You probably could have got away with a lot more over there. Mm. There's a couple of films that were shot in Bulgaria during during the pandemic. I think. Right. Exactly. But it's it's cool though. Uh, it, it actually had a limited theatrical release uh, in the summer in July of this year. And then it came out on all digital formats in August uh, with its official Blu-ray and DVD release on September 12th. Um, I believe I did you see this on Hulu. Where did you see this? Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's it's, you know, it's out there making the rounds, so to speak, uh, on the, the, the digital platforms. It's not like a Shutter exclusive or anything, although I feel like it, it would have fared well on Shutter you now. Yeah, yeah, you know this. This would this seems like a shutter, you know, like an exclusive. Definitely. Um, so, what would you rank this on our Necromaniac score of uh, one to five? I had a hard time really deciding because, like I said, I I thought it was a nice movie. I thought it was good. There were things about it I liked, but there are things I didn't like about it. Mm -hmm. And I guess the question of will I watch this again? Mm -hmm. and it's unlikely i'll seek this movie out again so i'm going to give it a 3.5 you know that's what i i'm 
giving it a 3.5 because it's worth seeing. Yes. And it has that extra it has that extra mark for I, I think it has some some originality and it's it's got like a vibe, you know. Uh it's not a four-star movie. It's definitely like a 3.5 movie. It's solid. Uh we'll see what the director does. I mean, it just has some ideas that should have been maybe fleshed out a little more, right? It was a little ha- a little underbaked. Hmm. Underbaked. Yes. Yeah. It's like when the when when your your macaroni is like a little too al dente, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, uh, yeah, agree, agree. I recently had some spaghetti that was very uh, overcooked, but it was still enjoyable. But it was it was rather overcooked. It was not al dente at all, actually. I'll say, but uh, I enjoyed it nonetheless <laughs> as an Italian. <laughs> oh my god! But um, yeah, uh, listeners. Check this movie out. It's worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Hundred percent. Yeah, you know, definitely let us know what you think about it too. You know, and whatever method, you know, messages or you know, whatever. Let us know what your guys' take is on this movie as well. I'd be interested to see what people have to say about it. Yeah. Um. So we're at the beginning of 2024, and, and it, normally, if you're a longtime listener, we 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 tend to roll out some of the golden oldies in the beginning of 2024 because uh, the newer stuff hasn't really hit yet. So what you'll probably hear in the coming weeks is is some older fare or like tonight, movies that we happen to miss uh, in 2023. Right, Mike? Like we kind of let the cat out of the bag earlier that you and I are going to be doing trauma like over the next couple of weeks. So that's going to yes. be one of the next few episode, episodes will be trauma. And <laughs> Jeff and I have been talking about doing some older stuff too. Cool. Yeah. Dario Gento's trauma. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it out or if you want to wait to hear the episode uh you know you could do that too it's uh one of uh dario's rare uh american shot films uh shot on location of course in america it's got his lovely daughter uh asia in it or if you wish to pronounce her name asia you wouldn't be wrong either uh both you know pronunciations are good uh but yeah it's a cool er early 90s fair uh a dark time for hara but uh, yeah, look forward to that episode nonetheless. <laughs> well, I let everyone know I'm excited that I got my uh, my my Blu-ray of uh, Della Morte Della More, which just came mm. out. Nice. And, um, that was like uh, <laughs> this is the third version of the film that I. <laughs> so it's you know, but this one's like a deluxe edition that uh, who the hell put it out? Severin. Severin. Put it mm. out? I think so. Either Severin yeah. or yeah, yeah, vinegar syndrome, but I think it's Severin, but. Um, speaking of, uh, Blu-rays and DVDs, and we could probably close on this, uh, sad news, folks, uh, Best Buy has taken down and taken out all of their Blu-rays and DVDs as of this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? Hmm. End, end of an era. Era, man. Like, yeah. What are you going to do, man? Well, does Walmart still carry Blu-rays? Uh, yes, they do. Walmart, I yeah. believe, still does. I mean, look, you support your vinegar syndromes, support your, you know, severins, support your synapses, you know. Uh, there's still Amazon. And as my buddy Mark reminded me, there's still Barnes & Noble, who has a robust uh, Blu-ray uh, section. And they have those wonderful Criterion sales, uh, you know, a few times a year. Um you know, all hope is not lost, but I will say this. There was once upon a time where I was in a Best Buy almost every week in the O's to pick up something new, you know, because um, they had a lot of cool shit and they had exclusives. And, you know, it, it was it was a glorious time at one point for Best Buy. But I think uh, they, they decided that they were not generating that much money at all on these bad boys. So uh, they they bid farewell to physical media. Yeah, you know, as uh, some of you guys know, I'm going to be out on the road next month. And one of my favorite things to do is to stop in the middle of nowhere at a Walmart or a Best Buy mm-hmm. and buy blues, mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, box sets, like things like that. So um, mm-hmm. now I guess we're just down to Walmart, you know? Yeah, and I think Target, but like Target's section is, is, is really small and, you know, but... Uh, you know, I, I, I love my collection and 
a, a lot of this shit is not on any streaming services. So, you know, if I were you, I would hold on to my my physical medium. That's my that's my advice. Delamorte Delamore is. Yeah. Right. But it's, just just you know, to confirm, that <laughs> is a Severn release. So if you want to go to Severn and pick that bad boy up, I would highly recommend checking that out. It's uh, probably one of my favorite. It probably is my favorite Michaeli Suave movie. So yeah, mm. definitely check it out. Awesome. Would would be nice to see him uh, return to uh, to make a horror movie. I don't think it's going to happen, but it'd be interesting to see him take a swing at a new movie. I would welcome it. Yes, yes. Uh, and I believe there's a new Dario documentary coming. I don't know if you, you heard about that. So look, looking forward to that this year. Check. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll we'll catch you next week. Take care now. Take care, everybody. See you next time. Good night. Two Oh,